Amen. He's never been late. I hope he's on time tonight. Because I need somebody to bail me out. <laughs> but uh, he's always on time. And, and he don't go by our time. You know, we, we sit there and we cry and, and, and moan about things that gets in our life. And Lord, why aren't you taking this out? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? He, he knows what he's doing. Say so he's, he's never been late. When Lazarus died, he wasn't late. Amen. <clears throat> well, I'm going to speak on something tonight. We'll get right into it. Um, I've had some texts and people telling me this week that they're praying for me, and I'll take all I can get. Um, they, I've never been back there one single time, Brother Terry, that I haven't wanted to run out that back door. You, you, you have no, you've never felt nothing like that in your life until you've been truly called. To me, is a, a true call is, uh, is not wanting to do it. Because God knows my heart. I, I would rather be sitting there. And I, I might have told you all this. I, I remember the first time I talked to Brother Donnie about preaching. I sent him an email. And uh, I called him on the phone and he was talking on the phone. He said, well, you want to take Wednesday night service? I said, no. I said, I'll get back to you. <laughs> and I remember the email I sent him. I found it the other day. It was in 2006. And my first sermon was in 2009. So I got back with him in about three years. So <laughs> I didn't rush into this. It took a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of praying and a lot of tests and trials. And, you know, we don't understand the path that God has for us. But, you know, if, if you feel the leading of God in your life for anything, not just preaching, but anything. You know, when, and, and you get to question, Lord, is, is, this, is this you? Listen to the word. When I finally did it, Brother, um, Brother Eddie Bisco was up here preaching. I was sitting, we had a chair sitting right in front of the sound booth. And I don't even remember what he preached on. The only words that I remember that entire service was he pointed at me and said, if God's calling you to preach, you better preach. So here I am. So I'm going to chop it up again tonight. Brother Jim Babb says you can't eat it unless it's chopped up. So we're going to chop it up. If you've got your Bibles, we'll get right to it. Um, Romans, I'm going to read two scriptures and then we'll be seated. Romans 8, 14, and then we're going to read in John 1, um, 12. Thank you, Bob. I'm going to actually pick my sermon up tonight where Brother Donnie left off Wednesday night. Um, you know, Brother Terry, sometimes you're wanting confirmation on a sermon that you've got prepared, and, and you're, you're praying about it. You know, Lord, is, is this what you want me to bring? And very end of his sermon, he, he got into mine. And, and, and I didn't do these notes. I've had these notes for over a year. So, we're going to, he talked, Brother Donnie was talking about the bride's position. Amen. Where is your position as a bride? And um, we're going we're to look at that and then we're going to go into that. And what is your possessions? The possessions as an heir, as joint heirs of Christ. If you claim to be the bride, you're claiming to be a joint heir with Christ. So, there's so many things that belong to you. So many things that belong to you. And tonight, I hope we can, we can get a grasp of that tonight, what, what God has for us. I, I, 
I really believe with all my heart, we leave so much stuff laying around that God has for us that we didn't, we're not picking up. So if we can, Romans 8.14, we'll read down through chapter, uh, verse 17. For as many were led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If it so be that we suffer with him, we may be also glorified together. And John 1, uh, we'll read chapter, uh, verse uh, 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Which are, <clears throat> which are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but of God. And in that verse 12 there, when it says, them that believe on his name, that's not like the Baptist method. Yeah. Where you believe on his name and then you're, you're set for life. There's everything that comes after that. Amen. Which are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. Let's pray over the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for this opportunity. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help me tonight to get out of the way. Lord, there's so many things, Lord, that we've no doubt battled through the week, through the day, Lord. We can't redo that. We can't undo that, Lord. It's already done. But, Lord, there's what lies ahead of us. Lord, as human beings, as sons and daughters, Lord, we can trust in you for everything from this point on. Lord, that you will take care of us. So help us tonight, Lord, as your bride is gathered here tonight to receive food for the journey, Lord. Lord, I could give it to them as far as these words that I've got here, these scriptures, these quotes. But Lord, that's all it would be. It would be words of, of, of knowledge, of, of my, my knowledge of what I've wrote down, what, what I perceive the scripture to be, what I perceive this quotes to be, Lord. But Lord, if you would come and anoint it, if you would sit me down, Lord, and you would take over and reveal to them, Lord, we could preach this whole sermon and every single person in here would get something different for, to meet their need, Lord. I pray that you would anoint the people, Lord. We welcome you here tonight, Lord. This is your time. The day's over. We've had our time through the day, Lord, but I pray, Father, that we give light on your time right now. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In Romans 8, 14, and it talks about being a joint heir with Christ. I looked up the definition of what is an heir. A person legally entitled to the property or rank of another on that person's death. Somebody had to die for you to be who you are, to get what you get, to possess what you get. Somebody had to die. But somebody had to live to be a joint heir. Somebody had to live. You can't be a joint heir with somebody unless they're alive. So everything that Christ had, everything that was given to him of God, everything he possessed, all the power that he had, he died. When he died, that blood was shed so that you could have that too. And the part where Satan missed out was when he rose again. And he didn't take, he didn't take it back from me. He didn't say, well, psych, I'm not, I'm not really dead. I'm alive. Now you got to give it back. He said, I'll share that with you. And they're joint heirs with Christ. 
So Brother Branham says in the God who is rich in mercy. Now we are a part of God. You always was. You don't remember it because you were only an attribute in God. You were only in his thinking. Your very name. If it was, ever was in the book of life, it was put there before the foundation of the world. He knew what you were. Amen. Brother Branham says, I'm not, he says, I'm only saying this not to mix up doctrine, but to straighten it out. Yeah. That we might get away from, that, from this fear and this scare that you don't know who you are. Yeah. You're not going to be, but you now, you now are sons of God. See, you always were sons of God. So we identify ourselves in our, of, of who we are as um, natural people. You know, your natural name, who you are. You're, some of you are, are husbands, your brothers, your uncles, your, your wives, your sisters, your aunts, your moms, your dads. That's your natural identity here on earth. Amen. You, you could say, yeah, I know who I am. I, I'm Gary Harris' son. That's, that's who I am. That ain't what God wants you to recognize. God wants you to recognize who you are in Him. If you can't recognize who you are in Him, then the cross was in vain to you. It was in vain. You don't recognize that you're a joint heir. You don't recognize what Christ done for you. You don't recognize what belongs to you. <clears throat> so how does what God wants us to see, how we are in Him. You know, we can go on and say we're a bride. You know, you can, you can say I'm bride. I'm identified in this message. I'm a part of this message. And after a while, that's for years and years, that's all we say. I'm in the message. I'm in the message. I'm in the message. There, there's, a lot of people, there's a lot of people in this message that will never go through them pearly gates. That's sitting in these churches. And that's the only thing, when, when they go to the grave, that will be the only thing they take with them related to this message was they sat in a message church. That's all they'll take. Because they never had a full revelation of who they were. You can say I'm bright. Brother Brandon, you said, brother, you, people used to say that, Brother Brandon would um, say when the bride recognizes who she is, she'll go. And I think he preached that in 63 in uh, Mystery of God Revealed. That becomes a cliche anymore. You know, we say that. We say that. When the bride recognizes who she is, she'll leave. We're still here. I don't dampen my faith any in who I am. If this goes on for another 10 years, 20 years, if I'm still alive, now I absolutely believe I'm going into rapture. I don't believe I go the way of the grave. I, I, I don't. I believe that I'm going to be in the rapture. I believe I am the rapture. So you, you're, if you believe that, you're not going without me. And it ain't because I went to this church. It's not because I believe this message. It's because of who I am. It's because what, what God made me to be. <clears throat> In the future home, if you are the bride, the bride is part of the husband. The only place you'll recognize is recognize what part of that husband, that word you are. And you can't recognize being the bride. How many says, how many sees that? Amen. You get a bride come up here. A bride comes up here and does her wedding. If, if all she gets out of that is a nice fancy dress, she thinks she looks good. And all the pomp and circumstance that goes with it. And she never realizes who she is at that point. She takes on that name. She takes on everything that comes with that name. If he's a millionaire, hey, I don't know if you all understand in the state of Tennessee what mutual law is. Mutual law is when you're married, 
what's yours is hers, whether her name's on it or not. That's mutual law. That is, that is recognized in the state of Tennessee. We've had people come file reports. Men come file a report that his wife stole his car. Are you married? Yeah, but we're not living together. It don't matter. It don't matter. What's hers is yours. What's yours is hers. And, the, and that's the part of, of a bride in this last day. Recognize that what's his is yours. You know, you, we come in here. We come in here on Wednesdays and Saturdays and Sundays, and we and we take on the word. We, we're getting dressed, putting on the wedding garment. And if you just sit down, sit there, and put on that garment week in and week out, and that's all you're doing is putting on the garment. Just listen, then you get up and walk out. You know, I see people all the time. As soon as they're preaching, let's stand. They turn and walk out. Where's the worship? Where's the praise of being the bride? He's dressing you. And that's all you, you get out of it was, okay, um, I, got, uh, I got the sleeves put on today, and out the door you go. Where's the worship? You know, it, and we'll get into it later in possessing. Every, every time Israel moved further into the land of Canaan, each city they possessed, how did they finish their victory? With praise and worship. And that's, that's part of being the bride. Listen, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a woman, but if I was a woman and I was marrying the man of my dreams, and Wayne laughing at me, if, if I was a woman and I was marrying the man of my dreams, and I felt it was kosher, I'd be shouting and jumping and, you know, I mean, that's the way it is. This is your dream. This is what you dreamed of your whole life. It's recognizing who you are. <clears throat> but not only recognizing who you are as a bride, recognizing your position in the bride. Everybody's got a position. As Brother Donnie was saying tonight, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's position. Everybody can't have the same position. I'd trade positions with any one of you right now. But everybody has a position. And when you try to fulfill somebody else's position, everything goes sideways. You ever heard that saying, nobody wants to be nobody. Everybody wants to be somebody. But be yourself because everybody's taken. Be yourself. Don't be nobody else. Don't try to fulfill my position in the bride. If you want to help somebody along the way, be who you are in your position. You'll be a greater blessing being who you are than trying to be somebody else. <clears throat> we all can agree that we're members of the bride. We can all say, yeah, I'm members of the bride. But I can't, I can't tell you what your position is. It's not enough to know God. Does God know you? Does God recognize you as a bride in your position? Satan's job, he's not going to tell you this word. And I might have spoken this before. I think I preached a message here a year and a half, two years ago on who are you. And I've gotten messages off of that. This is one of them. Satan's not going to tell you this message is wrong. He would never convince you that for nothing. He would never convince you that this is wrong. 
But his job is to keep you from seeing yourself in this. His job is to keep you from seeing who you are. What is yours? What belongs to you? <clears throat> He'll do his best to keep from getting you getting a, a true revelation of what lies within you. What kind of power do you have in you? Do we really realize, Brother Terry, what we have as sons and daughters of God? Now, this is not, you can't say, well, I'm in the message. You know, I had a, a guy come to, to me many years ago. I was talking about it to somebody yesterday, some guy in the message. He went and told somebody that you had to be in the message to go to heaven, to, be, to believe what we believe to go to heaven. And he said, I told him right, didn't I? I said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You went, how many times Brother Donnie hit that in the last year? It's not your four no more. You know, in the, as your position in the bride, you're to be a light to others. But as your light being to light to others, that don't mean nobody else that don't see your light's not going to go. That's your power. That's your position in the bride. Do you recognize what you have? Brother Bram says, in thy house. This is one of my most favorite quotes that he says right here. You're talking about Jupiter and Mars and these stars that you see now. Well, think about 186,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles per second. Take 120 million years. By one second, 186,000. Break it down to 120 million years. Then what do you got? So that's miles. He says, and now, then beyond that, there's just as many moons and stars. And he holds them with the power of his own word. Amen. And that very same thing that holds them is in you as a Christian. Amen. If you ever get a revelation of that part, of the power that's in you, there shouldn't be anything out there that, you, that God says is your possession. Take your possessions that you shouldn't be getting. Amen. How could you not? This quote right here is a revelation. It has to be a revelation. And I believe that we don't have a revelation of that. We live so far beneath what God has for us because we don't have a real revelation of the power of God in our lives. Now, I don't mean you're going to walk around, go through a hospital, and raise up everybody out of bed. It's not that. It's the power. Like was Brother Homer preaching about the power of creating. Or Brother Darrell, one of them. Creating that atmosphere. The people know who you are. People know when they get around you what kind of person you are. <clears throat> we have to see the power that we have in us. We're going to re read in Leviticus. I'm going to start getting into now on the possessions. The children of uh, in Leviticus 20, 24. But I have said unto you, you shall inherit that, their land, and I will give it unto you to possess, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which has separated you from other people. They were different. They were a different people. And as time went on, they, they failed to recognize that. The children of Israel lost a glimpse of who they really were. Of the God that was with them when they came out of Egypt. And they, the, the ones that went into the land, 
They've seen, their, they've seen their family members die off. They've seen God slay them in the wilderness. And yet, when, when, when they went into the land and, and God told them, this is the land that you're going to inherit, and the deeper they went in it, the more lax they got. And they were different. They failed to get a revelation of who, who they were. Verse 25, And you, you shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean, and between unclean fowls and clean. And you shall not make your souls abominable by beast, by fowl, or any manner of living thing that creepeth, creepeth on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. You shall be holy unto me, for I am the Lord, Lord am holy, and have ser severed you from other people that you should be mine. Severed means I've, I've divided you. I've pulled you out. I've pulled you aside. You're a different people. You have a different power within you. You have a different attitude. You have a different atmosphere. And you have different possessions. Everything in your life should be different. It's a shame and it, that it took a, a Gentile, a Gentile woman, recognized who they were. Rahab recognized who they were. She knew who they were. She said, we know that the Lord, she knew who the Lord was. She never, she had, they served graven images and everything else. But she said, the Lord hath given you our land. She knew who they were. She knew that God had given them a possession. God has taken our possession and given it to you. And only a few ever, ever got the glimpse of who they were. <clears throat> As I see, said, people see who you are. People see what you possess. And I'm not talking about earthly possessions. I'm not, you know, just because somebody's got a lot of money and got a lot of things that people say, well, God's really blessed them. No, maybe, maybe they're a hard worker. Maybe, maybe they had a rich uncle. You know, it's not, it's not that uh, they're serving God better than you. You know, some, some people's lives... You know, through their whole life, if you get older, I'm, I mean, you're getting older, Brother Terry. I seen the 2017 Happy Valley Church youth picture back there on Brother Donnie's, and me and Brother Terry wasn't in it. <laughs> but you see people that, that, through life, their whole life, their generation, next generation, you see them, they struggle. They struggle financially, they struggle um, physically, they struggle with sickness, and it, you think, you know, why, maybe, maybe. You know, there isn't something wrong with their life. That's just their lot in life. Everyone is different. <clears throat> Exodus 23. And little by little I will drive them out. This is God saying, I'm giving you this land. All the way back in Abraham, I was, I was reading in Genesis this week, where God said, as the dust of the, of the ground, so your seed shall be in this land. This is your land. He taken there into Hebron. And he said, this is all yours as far as you can see. It's all yours. And this is what he's telling the children of Israel 400 years later when he brings them out. Little by little I'll drive them out before thee and unto thee, until thou be increased and inherit the land. I will set thy bounds. We're going to get into this later. I will set thy boundaries from the Red Sea even unto the Sea of the Philistines, from the desert unto the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand. And you shall drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land. We're going to talk about that again in a minute. They shall not dwell in thy land. They ain't even taken it yet, but God's calling it theirs. 
They hadn't even taken it. They didn't even step a foot on it. And God says, this is your land. So in other words, everybody else is trespassers. So everything else that you claim is yours, that God's given you, if you claimed your healing, you got cancer on it. Cancer's trespassing on what's yours. If you got depression, joy and peace is yours. Depression's trespassing on that. So God said, move these boundaries. Move these boundaries on the other side of that. Take this peace. Take this joy. Set a boundary on the other side of that. That's yours. Push it as far as you want. All the way to the Red Sea. Thou shalt not dwell in thy land, lest, they'll make, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it shall, it shall surely be a snare unto them. So God tells them to push them out. I know I've got a few quotes of scriptures here early, but I'll, I'll lessen it up here in a minute. Jehovah Jireh in 64. You don't know what you, you own till you go looking through the Bible to find out the promises. He's talking about your possessions. They'll keep you from them if they can, but they're yours. Every promise is to Abraham and to his seed after him. Every divine promise in the word belongs to Abraham and his seed, and you are an heir to it. There's that word again. You're an heir to it. It says, an heir, oh my, I like to look through to see what I got. If somebody give me something, I like to look it over. I like to look through the Bible and see what belongs to me. Every seed of Abraham ought to do that. When you become born again, filled with the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit upon you, you're an heir to every one of those promises. Promises become your possessions once you recognize who you are. If you don't know you own something, you can't possess it yet. You can't, you know, they, your rich uncle can, can will a million dollars to you. And if you don't realize that he's your rich uncle, you'll never possess it. It'll never be yours. It'll lay there in probate or whatever it does for, until you realize who you are. Amen. <clears throat> So every promise in God's word belongs to you. And Satan's job is to keep you from seeing that. Like I say, he's not going to make you believe you're not a son or a daughter of God. But he'll keep you from taking what's yours. <clears throat> he'll, he'll keep your healing from you. Your deliverance from you. Everything, everything that uh, your financial needs. Your lost son, your lost daughter, your lost husband. He's going to discourage you to even think that there's anything to be done. I heard a story the other day. This guy says he's, he's going down the road and he looks over and he sees Satan has a, a yard sale going on. He said, so he decides he's to stop in there and, and, and see what he's got. He said, Satan, he said, well, what do you got for sale over here? He said, well, I got a lot of things. He said, but discouragement is my best seller. And so he says, why? Why do you sell so much of that? He said, once I sell discouragement, all my other tools work. So his job is to sell you discouragement. As a son and daughter of God, you're not allowed to possess that. That's a Jebusite. God said, push him out. He told Israel to push the Jebusites out. But let we, we let it linger there. 
And so many times, Satan tries to get us to believe that we can live with it. That's what got Israel in trouble, and that's what got Israel in trouble to this day. And she told him, you push them to these boundaries. And you set your boundaries over at the Red Sea. You set them over at the Sea of the, desert, uh, the, sea of the Philistines. You set them on the other side of the desert. These are your boundaries. Amen. You push them all the way past there. Well, they got the Jebusites to one spot. And they decided to let them stay. And they got to thinking amongst themselves, you know what? This ain't that bad. This is not that bad at all. We can live with this. That's still Satan's tactic to this day. He's got a Jebusite called appeal. There's, there's times you see people never, people that have been suffered and complained with things for years and years, and you never see them up here one time to get prayed for. Complaining about how sick they are. Complaining about how depressed they are. How much they hurt. And they're popping pills like a junkie. What about your possession of healing? That God said, when you're in the land, this is yours. And there you are, popping Jebusites. I'm not nothing against medication. But when that becomes your only source of healing, you've built a house for the Jebusites. That's not doctrine, that's just Joe's opinion. <clears throat> In Joshua 23.8, But cleave unto the Lord your God as you have done this day. For the Lord hath driven them out before you, before you great nations and strong. But as for you, he's telling this is this is what you're going to be able to do as sons and daughters of God. But as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you until this day. Nobody has stood before you. They would have had no trouble driving the Jebusites out. Zero trouble. All they had to do was trust God. God already said this is your land. They're trespassing. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, it is he that fighteth for you. As he hath promised you. Take good heed therefore unto, your, unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Amen. So instead of possessing healing, deliverance, salvation for your loved ones, right. Satan's handing over sadness, bitterness, depression, doubt, worry, stress. Amen. You can't have all the other stuff if you, if you own that. What happened was the Jebusites planted corn on their property. So they, they weren't able to sow seeds on nothing. So they had to live with what, with all the, being short of what God told them they could have. In Exodus 23, it says, Else if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of those nations, even those that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go unto them, and they to you. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. They shall be snares and traps unto you. And they are to this day. Naturally speaking, in Israel. And scourges in your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord hath given you. 
in Joshua 15, As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day. Joshua 17, Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. But the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Yet it came to pass when the children of Israel were waxing strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute. They put them to tribute. I didn't what God said do. God said drive them out. You're settling. You're settling for something Satan's given you and you're decided to live with it. If I don't think about it, if I just leave it alone, go about my business, I won't worry about it. God said, drive it out. Yes. And the children of Benjamin, Joshua Judges 121. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. <clears throat> in possessing all things. Oh my, how I like that. Believers promise, you say, what's that got to do with us to every believer? The believer's promise is eternal life. The believer's promise is life, it's joy, it's peace, long-suffering, gentleness, patience, fruits of the Spirit, divine healing. A dozen things I've wrote down here nearly, that is your possession. It belongs to you. But you cannot have it until you fight for it. It's yours. Israel gave up the fight. They gave up fighting. They decided they didn't want to fight no more. It really wasn't much of a fight. God said, I'll be with you. I'll drive them out for you. So, so why did they get tired? Why did they settle? We do that in life. We, we, there's so much things that God has for us. And we decide to settle without it. I believe with all my heart that this bride will obtain every single possession God has for her by the time she gets out of here. It's yours. God's not saving some of these possessions for another day. He said everything that God was, He poured into Christ. And everything Christ that was, He poured back into His bride. Amen. He didn't leave a little something out. But we, we settle so far beneath what God has for us so many times. And we wonder why we struggle in our daily walk. You know, it's human nature. It, this, you're going to leave this humanity on. I'm not saying that you need to go home and work yourself up into deity. Not that at all. God, God knows you're human. God knows you're going to make mistakes. God knows you're going to fall. But God also knows your heart. He also knows your desire. If it's your desire, true desire, to obtain every, every possession that God has for you, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. The bride will do it. <clears throat> so claim, claim your ground. Claim, claim your land. You know, footsteps of possession. I, I don't hardly study anything like this without think, talking about Caleb. I mean, you're talking about a Gentile dog. The promise wasn't even to him, to him at all. He says, y'all don't want it. I'll take it. I, you don't want to take your promise that God gave you. I'll take it. They, it. You know, give me my mountain. Look at the part that he took. I think I addressed that climbing your mountains. Climbing, you know, he, he took Hebron, the most treacherous mountainous part there in, uh, in Canaan. Took a sword and fought and killed the giants off of it. 85 years old. You know, we've, we've got no excuses. Somebody forgot to tell Caleb it didn't belong to him. You know, we, we look at 
and gifts that God gives us. Let's start with the Holy Ghost. To me, I think as a, as a bride, that's one of the first things God gives, gives us, Brother Terry, is the Holy Ghost. And it's a free gift. You got people seeing that people are struggling for years for the Holy Ghost. I've been struggling, struggling, struggling. No, you, you're not struggling. You shouldn't be struggling for the Holy Ghost because it's a free gift. My son asked me tonight if I'm going to use the Oreo. <laughs> we had a young people's meeting one time. and There was a young man there. I don't know if he's here tonight or not. Brother John Horniak, some of us. But there's a lot of question and answers. Brother Terry, I think you remember a lot of the young people do question and answers. And, and Brother Donnie wanted some of the help ministers here to um, have meetings with Brother, brother um, Weber and I think Brother Bradley and Brother Horniak and him and answer some of these. And I took the Holy Ghost subject. And this one boy, he really liked Oreos. So I told him, I said, it's this simple. If you want an Oreo and you know there's Oreos in the pantry, what do you do? You go get them and eat them. It's that simple. The Holy Ghost is a free gift. You don't have to work it up. You don't have to get, get beat on the back, speak in tongues. It's a free gift. God did not say work for it. When Christmas comes around, all them gifts under the tree, does your wife ask you to do 400 push-ups before you open yours? It's not, it's not that. It's got your name on it, so you go get it. In question and answers in 59, before there was a world, you were in God's thought, in God's thoughts to give you the Holy Ghost. Because he knew you'd be wanting it. Can you imagine before a foundation of the world? Brother Jerry, God looked down through time and said, Brother Jerry's going to want the Holy Ghost. I'm going to have it all ready for him. It's going to be there waiting for him when he gets there. It's a free gift. God knew what your desire would be. God knew that you would want to live for Him. God knew that you wanted to live a clean, holy life. And for you to walk in the footsteps of deity, He said, you've got to have this. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. So I want to have it there waiting for you. So why did He do that? Brother Brandon also, he typed Egypt. Um, Israel coming out of Egypt into Canaan. Egypt is the world. Canaan is the Holy Ghost. You know, that was his, his type of that. It, it was God had given it to them. He'd give it to them. That's how easy it was. When they first crossed Jordan and went into, into Canaan, and they were slaying people left and right. It was easy because God gave it to them. Why? Why did he give it to them? It was a promise he made Abraham. It was because they were Abraham's seed. Why, why does he give you what he gives you? It's because of who you are. It ain't, it's not because of anything you've done. If my kids want something, if I'm able, if I'm able, within reason, if I'm able, I'm going to get it for them. Why? Because they're mine. They're my kids. The things that you want in life, the things that God, the blessings that God gives you in life, you did not one single thing to deserve that. You didn't do anything. I've given my kids stuff that they didn't deserve. There's times I, I could have stomped a mud hole in them. But they're mine, and I love them anyway, so I'm going to give them stuff. What if God judged you by every mistake that you made? What if God judged you 
to, I'm going to give you your possessions based on your mistakes. You would have anything. You would have nothing. You don't deserve anything to begin with. We don't deserve anything. But it's because of who you are. Joint heirs with Christ. Whatever Christ was, it belongs to you. It's because of who we are. That's why He gives us the Holy Ghost. I was studying this. I was wondering, you know, God looking at who we are. Us looking at who we are. Other people looking at who we are. What does Satan see when he sees you? What does the devil see? Does he know who you are? Remember the sons of Siva in uh, Acts 19. They were trying to cast out devils. In Jesus' name and Paul's name. They said, Jesus, we know. Paul, we know. But who are you? So when you, when you get down to pray... When, when you go through your walk of life and you're trying to, Satan, I'm claiming this, I'm claiming this, does he know who you are? Does he know what you're claiming? Or does he just tell you, I don't know who you are and you ain't taking it? It's going to be impossible for you to, for Satan to recognize who we are if we can't recognize who we are ourselves. You don't, if you don't know you're the bride, you're never going to walk down that aisle. If you, if you, you claim to be the bride, if the bride don't recognize who she is. Music starts playing. If she don't know she's the bride, she's never coming through them doors. Don't matter what she's got on. Don't matter who's standing up here waiting. It's recognizing who you are. You say, Brother Joe, I don't have, I don't have faith for a lot of things. And I love this quote, and I had this in, uh, Brother Saunders and him will recognize this. I used this quote up in uh, Arizona a few months ago. I got to studying um, the, other, the other message I got out of who you are or who are you was one of the power of words. And I found this quote. He said, Brother, Brother Brandon was talking about people, said something to him that they didn't have enough faith. Didn't have enough faith. He says, if you don't have enough faith, he said, go the adopted baby route. How many's ever heard that before? Go the adopted baby route. He preached that in um, Eagle Stirth Upper Nest. And he goes on to explain what the adopted baby route is. He said, you know, when you take a mother that can't have a baby, she tries and tries and tries to have a baby. And she can't have a baby, so she'll adopt one. And then, not all the times, but a lot, most of the times... Once she quits stressing out and worrying about having a baby, she ends up having a baby. He said, so you take that need that you have, and you approach that need with adopted baby route. Brother Branham, what Brother Branham was telling to do, you take that need and you put it up here in your mind. You put it up here in your mind. You start thinking positive thoughts about that need. And you come in here on Wednesdays and Saturdays and Sundays. You get it a well checkup. You rock it. You sing lullabies to it. Whatever that need is, every thought that you give it, you change it. You feed it. That adopted baby is going to begin to grow. And when that adopted baby grows, about Brother Donnie always says about 14 inches. It'll end up down here. I believe I preached a sermon here two or three years ago. Brother Bram said, you know, if you can't have faith, you know, he said, do the next best thing. Yeah. 
You know, he's talking about thinking positive. You get what he said, pray for doctors, pray for nurses. Everything, you know, it, it's not all about working up faith. But Donnie did preach a series here not too long ago about positive thinking. So you got a, you got a possession in your life. You struggle with things in your life. Whether it's healing. You feel like I can't, I can't get enough, enough faith to believe for my healing. Sometimes when you're the one hurting. When you're the one hurting, sometimes you need somebody else to believe with you. You have to. But Terry, Sister Alice needs you going through her liver um, disease problem. She needed Brother Terry's faith. She needed our faith. But I could see maybe in Sister Alice's mind, it's hard to have faith, if you, but you can think positive. You can think positive. I believe God's healed me. Just think, I'm, I'm, I'm healing. You get that well body. You, you see that well body out there and you walk towards that well body. Go on, what did Brother Bram say? Every time they come off the platform, go your way thanking God. There, there's people that's come across this platform and got hands laid on them for sickness and walked away with it. Thanking God. Thanking God. <clears throat> so the adopted baby route. If you've got a lost son, lost daughter, lost husband, your kid on drugs, lost wife, whatever, whatever is your... Get it, if you can't have faith for it. It's hard when you're stressed out sometimes. When you're worrying so much about your kids. It's hard sometimes to have the right kind of faith. Because that worry, that stress piles up. Start thinking God. Get a positive thoughts in, in, in your mind and start thinking that way. <clears throat> Let's talk about boundaries. God told Israel were to set their boundaries. We have boundaries. I'm going to use these things. Y'all take a break. I was about 15 years old. How many members Brother Danny Williams? I love that man. I was about 15 years old and Brother Danny Williams came to Kentucky. And he took two mic stands. Really. <laughs> he took two mic stands. And he used them as boundary markers. He preached a message on boundaries. And he was took these boundary markers and he talked about God telling Israel. Moving to the land. And Brother Danny started moving, using the boundary markers. He said God, you know, would take them. And they'd go past Jericho and they'd move the, the boundary this way. And they would stretch out that boundary. The next city over. And they'd move that boundary. And they moved it. Finally, they had all this land. And then he, he took them same boundary markers. He said, let's use these boundary markers in your life. Right here is where Satan wants your boundary markers. Right here. Because you ain't got nothing. You can't move. You can't build a house right here. There's no land. And you can't make footsteps. Footsteps are possessions. 
So you got sickness in your life. You got cancer right over there is healing. You've got to move this boundary over there to have this healing. You have depression right over there is joy. And this boundary marker has to go from here to there. Here's the key to that. God said that was yours. It should be as simple as walking over and putting your boundary marker across joy. Putting your boundary marker on healing. You've created footsteps. You've got a, you can build a foundation in here now. But so often Satan tries to move that boundary marker. You wasn't really healed anyway. You know what? You're probably right. That joy you had, it was that pill that you took. Remember that? It wasn't real joy. It was just that pill you took. And so often he gets us right back in here. These boundaries should be so far you shouldn't even see them. Everything that God has should push your boundaries so far that you can't even see them. Because I'm thinking if I can see my boundaries, I don't have enough land. I don't have enough possessions. Hey, I'm going to be greedy with what God gave me. I'm going to be greedy. I'm going to get all I can get. But I was, as I was saying, sometimes to move these boundaries, it takes faith of others. You know, when your wife, your husband's in the hospital dying. You know, somebody needs to grab this with you. Somebody has to grab us with you. Somebody has to help you move it. Because sometimes whenever you got cancer, you got liver disease, and you need these boundaries moved past that healing to pull that healing in there, Satan's going to push them in. It's a body move, y'all. The body heals itself. Ask any nurse, any doctor, everything that you need for healing is in the human body. The body can heal itself. <clears throat> But it's all ours. Amen. Studying this, you know, you, you, I was looking at the Seraphonician woman. It wasn't for her. It wasn't for her. You know, in, in studying this, and I'm going to jump ahead in my notes, I think, because I don't even know where I'm at now. But it wasn't for her. What did Jesus tell her? Healing is the children's bread. And sometimes I think we're starving to death. I think we're starving to death. It, that's freely given. It's the children's bread, but it's not, he said it's not for her. If, if somebody, that God could give it to somebody that wasn't for, what about those that it is for? That's, that's, the, way, that's the way he was. And in studying this, in the last sermon I had a power of words, I got to reading about the Gentiles. The same situation that happened with Israel. The same thing that happened with Israel, taking their, not taking their land. Not taking what God had sent them, what God had given them. Happened or unfolded again right back in, in Acts. Acts 13, 46. What did Paul tell them? But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of an everlasting life. 
they wouldn't go get it. They wouldn't take it. You know, I was, I was listening to a sermon today. Is it, um, I don't, uh, this day the scriptures fulfilled. In 65, February 65, Brother Bram said, you know, in the, in the scripture it talks about my son has come out of Egypt. Brother Bram said that was a twofold, that was a twofold um, fulfillment in that scripture. It was Jacob coming out of Egypt. Children of Israel, they come out of Egypt. God brought them out. He said that the other fulfillment was that was the greater son. He said Jacob was the son that came out of Egypt. My son has come out of Egypt. I've called my son out of Egypt. He's, the second one, he said, was the greater son. Was Jesus Christ come out of Egypt. And they turned him down. Here again, and Paul tells him, Acts 13, 46, But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. And then what did he say? From this day, I turned to the Gentiles. I turned to the Gentiles. I turned to you. And the Gentiles rejoiced. It wasn't for them. Reading the New Testament, Jesus tells His disciples, do not go take this to the Gentiles. It wasn't for them. There was Gentiles living in that day that were ordained to eternal life and Jesus said, don't take us to them. Because Paul says when He turns to the Gentiles, those that were ordained to eternal life accepted it. So when Paul, whenever Paul does a, a, turns around, what does he see? This is what he sees right here, Gentiles. We're going to take it. We're going to set up boundaries. Everything that the Jews wouldn't take, we want it. <clears throat> I don't remember who it was, Brother Darrell, Brother Donnie, preaching that around the first of the year, talking about Paul doing a, a full body move and turning to the Gentiles. And that Gentile dispensation started on that body move. And I'm, I got the wonder, Brother Terry, after hearing that, I was sitting there listening when, when, when Brother Donnie was preaching that, I thought... How long had the Gentiles followed them around? How long had they followed them around listening and hearing this, these men speak this word? And these men refused to speak to them. Before this happened, the Gentiles actually came up to Paul and said, preach it to us. We, we want it. We want to hear it. Paul couldn't preach it to them. He couldn't preach it to them. How would you like, how would you like to be in your life? How would you like this end time word coming this day? And they say, no, it's for people in Kentucky. Tennesseans, you can't have it. If you ordained eternal life, you'd follow it around. You would follow it everywhere it went until they turned and spoke to you. That's what these Gentiles did. They said, we'll take them possessions. Any possession that they don't want, we'll take it. So they've been, that started the boundary move. The church ages has been moving boundaries all the way from, from Paul up to now. What did Paul move the boundary to? What was Paul's boundary on the other side of? You have to be saved through Jesus Christ dying on the cross. He moved that boundary past that. 
What was Luther? Luther found out you had to be justified. He moved that boundary past that. Wesley seen that you have to be sanctified. Luther couldn't move his boundary past sanctification. It wasn't his, that wasn't given to him. It wasn't given to him yet. Paul couldn't move it through sanctification, justification. It wasn't given to him yet. Pentecost. Moving past the Holy Ghost. Pour outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Malachi 4 and 5. Would it push it back? Who you really are. He set boundaries past who you are. And that encompassed everything that God had for you. Then boundaries can't go any further. The problem is that we refuse to see where the boundaries are at. We've set up our own little boundaries in our life and we get them up around our feet and we can't walk. We can't move. But God says, I've set these boundaries here. If you get your human nature out of the way, if you get your human eyes out of the way and you see everything that I've got for you, you won't need your boundaries. You can use mine. I'm getting away. I'm not going to get to everything. I apologize. Prodigal son. I'm going to skip some stuff. Prodigal son. I I love the story about the prodigal son and possession so much. Because look what he took with him. Look what he took with him and look what he left. He took his own possessions with him. He took it. It didn't last. You know, you can, you can pile up all the worldly possessions. There's some people that just have to have stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody's different. People have to have stuff. This guy had to have stuff. Told his daddy, give me what's mine. Let me have it. Daddy's rich. And he took it with him. And it took, it took tests and trials for him to see that everything that he truly owned, he had left it back at home. Everything that was really his, he left it at home. Everything the daddy had was his. Daddy proved it when he came back. Put his robe on him. Killed the best calf he had. Put his ring on him. Everything that God, the best that God has. Let me put it that way. The best that God has belongs to you. <clears throat> when you realize who you are, and I put a note down here. When you realize who you are and you've staked a claim to all that God has for you, Satan don't want to be on that land. When you realize, when you get a revelation of this is mine, he don't want to be on that. Because he knows he's got to fight. Let's stand together. Brother Branham says in Abraham's seed, 59, you're an heir to it, heir of salvation, heir of divine healing, heir of every redemptive blessing Jesus died for. You are the heir to it. For you are Abraham's seed. You're heir of the whole thing. The whole thing. Not in part, the whole thing. He says, I feel religious. Now that I'm an heir, you may think I'm just a little crazy. 
But if I am, just leave me alone. I'm more happy that way than I was the other way. I said, I like this way the best. But I know that I'm an heir, heir of salvation, heir of every promise. He says, why you Pentecostal people, you sing every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Then act like it. Rock around and see what, see what you got in here. It's all yours. You're heir to it. So walk around. Take possession. It belongs to you. God gave it to you. What a beautiful promise there. You might say, Brother Joe, I don't, I don't think it, uh, I, have, uh, I have enough faith to claim that. I try so hard, but it's so hard. It's, I struggle against the devil. I, I've probably, I know I've read this scripture probably with half of sermons I've preached here, but I'm going to read it again. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. The other day I decided to look up the word resist. It does not say submit yourselves to God, call in an army, an airstrike, call 911 and he will flee. That word resist means just don't move. Be unmovable. You've claimed your land, so stay on it and don't move. You don't have to call a prayer meeting because the devil's coming up against you. Don't move. You see, Brother Joe, I don't know if I have. I don't have enough in me for that. In studying this sermon I preached in Arizona about power of words, I got to looking deeper into legion. You're going to have to forgive me a minute. And while I was reading Legion, uh, Legion I, I recall Brother Donnie preaching that sermon about how many angels it took to put Satan into the pit. One angel. Didn't even give him a name. A nameless angel. So he wasn't very highly ranked. One angel put him in the pit. Now I was reading in the Maniac of Gadara. So the Legion had 2,000 demons on him. 2,000. But he had enough. We sit here and we complain about the little tests and the trials that we go through. You claim there's no one greater in your life than Jesus Christ. And you complain about the tests and the trials that we have to go through. The pain that you have to go through. And this is a man with 2,000 demons. And he had enough inside of him. That Jesus hurt him from the other side of the sea. Because God placed something in him before the foundation of the world. Without that, he'd have never been able to get free. Jesus wouldn't have heard anything else but the Father calling from him. When that seed spoke... And you struggle from day to day and feel like you can't make it. We, I say we, not you, us, everybody. We're human. But the part of that that I have a problem with is Legion never had the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost wasn't sent yet. He found somebody that would hear him. 
There was something down in there greater than 2,000 demons. Can you think of anybody greater than that? That Jesus would come to live inside of you? That God would, would, would place something down in you, loved you so much before you, even, before you were even born, before this world was ever born. God had you in His mind that He loved you so much that He placed a part of Him down inside of you. He loved Legion so much that He placed a part of Him down there. I can't wait to find out His real name, Brother Terry. I want to find Him. Because if you claim that you can't, you got the Holy Ghost, and then you claim that you can't make it through Laodicea, He's going to stand against you on Judgment Day. And say, I had 2,000 demons on me. Did you have a backache? That's life. That's the truth. I don't, I don't mean to be hard, but that's the truth. We're soft. Hey, we're in a battle. But he's, gave, he's given you everything that you need for this battle. He's given you everything. We've, we, we will not have no excuses when we leave here, Brother Greg. We'll have no excuses. You have nothing, no reason not to make it through everything that comes your way. No reason. Because there's no one greater than Jesus. And you claim that He lives inside of you. Let Him do the fighting. God told you on visitor, I'll drive them out for you. I'll drive them out. He told you the same thing. But Harry, can we sing that song, There's No One Greater Than Jesus? Let's worship Him a little bit. I, didn't mean, I really didn't mean to hold you this long.
or possession tonight. Amen. Let's sing that song. We sang it, I think, last week. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Amen. I told Satan, get thee behind. Amen. Let's sing that tonight. As Amen. Amen. Oh, victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. Satan, get thee behind, oh victory today is mine, joy, oh joy is mine, joy is mine, joy today is mine, 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 oh I told Satan, 
said, Lord, if you please, I rose up praising and shouting victory. Oh, victory is mine. Victory is mine. Oh, victory today is mine, mine, mine. I told Satan, get thee behind. Didn't have a doubt. I knew that the Lord. 